Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast with our senior pastor, Ben Martinez. Don't forget to check out our website at calvarychapellubbock.church. There you'll find a lot more about our mission to love God, love people, and live radically. Now here's Pastor Ben. Amen. Shortly before Peter denied Jesus, the Lord told him, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Little did Peter the apostle know at that time how he would eventually be used by God to strengthen not only the believers in his generation, but believers of all generations to come through First and Second Peter. Now, I've been going through First Peter, and what I see as a theme of First Peter is that there is hope in the midst of the fiery trials. In fact, God said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this morning, I want to look at 1 Peter 5, verses 7 through 12. I have titled my message, Clear-Headed, because we have to have clear minds, the kind of minds that are alert and in the game. We have to have these sober minds because we have an opponent who is seeking to defeat us, who is seeking to devour us. He's come to still kill and destroy. And so this morning, I want to look at several things. I want to look, number one, casting all your care on God. Number two, clear minds, clear minds. And then finally, the hope, the hope that we have. So if you have your Bibles, 1 Peter 5, I want to begin in verse 1 but I'm going to focus in on verses 7 through 12. Verse 1, The elders or the leaders who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow leader and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. How many of you are looking forward to that glory that's going to be revealed? That glory is yet to come. The glory of God is going to be revealed. One day we will see him in all of his glory, we will see the presence of Jesus Christ, that glory that is yet to be revealed. I'm excited about that. And we ought to be excited about the glory that will be revealed. And then in verse two, he says, shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly nor being lords over those who entrust entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. One day you and I are going to receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. But we can't receive that crown of glory unless we carry our cross. You can't get the crown unless you carry the cross. We need, we have to carry the cross of Jesus Christ. We have to deny ourselves each and every day. Before the crown comes the cross. And one day we will receive that crown of glory and Jesus will fit us with that count, crown of glory that does not fade away. Likewise, younger people, submit yourselves to your leaders, to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. If you want to dress for success, clothe yourselves with humility, with the humility of Jesus Christ. Those are the kind of clothes that we want to put on each and every day. Humility, just as Jesus humbled himself even to the point of death. If we want to dress for success, the best church clothes to put on every single day are the clothes of humility, where we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 
Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. How many of you know that God cares for you? And he cares for you. He cares for everything about, he cares about your soul. He cares about your life. He cares about your struggles. He cares deeply for you. Verse eight, be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you, To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen and amen. By Silvanus, our faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. Back to verse 7, casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. The word translated care means anxiety or state of being pulled apart, casting all your care on him. When things are difficult, it's easy for us to become anxious or worried or troubled about many things. The cares of this world can weigh us down and rob us of our peace. This morning I was reading in my quiet time, I'm in the Gospel of Luke, and I was reading in Luke chapter 10. That's where I found myself this morning. And and Jesus spoke to Martha. And you're distracted. You're troubled. And you're worried about many things. Remember when when Jesus came into her home? She was serving, and, and uh, she was all concerned about what her sister wasn't doing. And she even told Jesus, don't you care? Tell my sister to get up and to get to work, basically. And Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you are troubled. You are distracted. You are worried about many things. Your sister has chosen the one thing that will not be taken away from her. And that's to sit at the feet of Jesus and to hear his word. And when we're distracted and we have these these worries and these cares and these anxieties and these troubles that have filled our hearts, we have to remember what Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. Cast all your care upon me because I care for you. The cares of this world will weigh us down. They will choke out the word of God. And that's why David said in Psalm 55, cast your burden on the Lord and he shall sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Are you fearful? Are you uncertain? Are you distracted by the things of this world? Are things pulling you apart? Are things coming at you? If you are, give it to the Lord because he cares for you, as Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, come to me, all of you who are weary and overburdened. Are you weary? Are you overburdened? Are you weighed down this morning with, with burdens? And are you worried about many things? Jesus said, come to me and I will give you rest. Pause for just a moment at that. Jesus said, I will give you rest. How good is rest? Isn't it good? Especially after a good night of rest. Sometimes it's hard to find a good night of rest, isn't it? You you go to sleep and you're restless and you toss and you turn. But then when you have those nights of rest and you just sleep all the way through, you wake up refreshed, you wake up uh, invigorated, you wake up with energy you wake up ready to go man when we come to jesus over and over again he gives us that rest that peace that stillness he gives us that calmness that we need in the midst of a crazy and chaotic wild world that we are living in it's 
wild. It's crazy. People are going nuts from coast to coast. And we need to come to Jesus. He said, come to me if you're weary. Come to me if you are overburdened. Come to me with your care and I will give you rest. It reminds me of what David said in Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God. Remember when you had little children or those of you who still have little children, remember you said, be still because they were like everywhere, right? Especially like at a restaurant, you couldn't get them to sit still. And you're like, can you sit still for just a second? Well, maybe a half a second. And you're like, sit still because you knew that it was good for them to sit still. And in the same way, God knows it's good for us to be still, to sit still, to be in his presence, and to do that one thing that Mary chose to do in Luke chapter 10. And that is sit at the feet of Jesus and to hear from his word. Be still, Jesus said, I will give you rest. And we wonder Why are we so anxious? Why are we so worried? Why are we so distracted? Why are we so troubled about many things? It's a lot of times it's because we're not being still. We're not sitting at the feet of Jesus. We're not casting all of our care upon him. Any fishermen in the house? Any of you guys like to go fishing? Those of you who are fishermen, any of you ever uh, cast out a line from your fishing pole? You have to cast it out, right? And it, you know, hopefully you get a good cast so it can go out nice and far so you can get a big mouth bass or whatever it is. But that there's nothing like a good cast. And you feel really good about it when you cast that that line, you know, you press in your button and nothing like a good cast. But how about when you when you cast it and the hook hooks your friend in the eye or something like that? No, hopefully that didn't happen. But if it did, oh my gosh, that's not a good cast. We want to have good, we want to have a good cast. Casting all your care upon the Lord. Just throw it out there. Give it to the Lord. He wants to carry our cares. He wants to carry our worries because he wants to give us rest. He says, put my yoke and, and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart. And then he mentions it again. You will find rest for your souls. Isn't that a promise? You will. Not maybe, or you might, but you will emphatically. You will find rest for your souls. Everybody around us, well, I shouldn't broad brush everybody, but a lot of people around us, they're restless. They don't have any peace. They don't have no no calmness, no stillness in their heart. They're everywhere. They're scattered. They're they're there and everywhere, and they're restless in their souls. It's because they haven't come to faith in Christ, or they haven't cast all their cares upon Him because He cares for you. So cast all your care upon the Lord, because He cares for you. Never forget that in verse seven. He cares for you. If anybody cares for you, it's the Lord. And he'll never stop caring for us. He cares for us deeply. He knows our sitting down. He's acquainted with our rising up. He understands our grief and and our thoughts from afar off. He knows everything about us. And he calls us over and over again to come to him and to give him our worries, to give him our cares, to give him everything, because he wants to give us rest. Secondly, verse 8, the second point is be calm or be collected. Verse 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So he's calling on the Christian believers to be sober, to be vigilant. Now keep in mind, in the first century, as I mentioned, First Peter, the theme is hope in the midst of fiery trials. The believers were facing strange, fiery trials, a lot of tribulations, a lot of difficulties, because remember, they were under heavy persecution. They were hated for their faith in Jesus Christ, being killed. And so a lot of them had been scattered to places like Apple, and, and Galatia 
Phoenicia and Bithynia and, and all those different areas because of persecution. And they were going through fiery trials. They were going through the waters. They were going through the fire of life. They were going through the difficulties. They were in the storm of persecution and they had a real enemy. And Peter urges, he calls upon the believers in Christ to be sober, to be vigilant, or to be calm and collected. To, to be sober, it means to be calm and collected in spirit. Spirit, it means clear-headed, or to have a sound mind. It also means to be free from the influence of intoxicants. First Thessalonians 5.8 But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. We need to ready our minds with the mind of Christ. We need to be sober. We need to be vigilant. Our mind needs to be free from the influence of whatever it is that can bring our mind under that influence. We need to have sober minds. We need to be able to think clearly. We need to think ourselves clear. We need to have clear minds. We need to be able to think upon those things which are above. In fact, Peter even mentioned it in uh, his first chapter, verse 3. He said, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Can't allow our minds to be captivated by any influence that would lead our minds away from being sober, vigilant. We can't allow our minds to be dominated by, by things that will lead our minds away from thinking upon those things which are above or thinking upon Jesus Christ. We have to be sober. We have to be vigilant. Remember, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind, or a sober mind, or a disciplined mind, or a clear mind, or a mind that is free from the influence of the intoxicants that intoxicate the minds of so many. God wants us to have clear minds. He wants us to think upon things that are true. One of my go-to scriptures that I go to over and over and in the quietness of my heart is, is Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 through 8, where it says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, or therefore, my brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are pure, whatever things are godly, whatever things are of valor, whatever things are of good report, think on these things. And the things which you have learned and saw in me, Paul the Apostle said, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. We have to think on those things which are true. He said, meditate on those things. And we have to engage our minds to meditate on things that are true. The truth comes from the word of God. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. We have to think upon things that are true because we have an enemy who is targeting our minds and he uses the influences of this world, the intoxicants of this world. He uses things of this world to try get our minds to become muddy and unclear. He wants our minds to be stuck in quicksand. I know a lot of us haven't been stuck in quicksand, but you've been stuck in the mud before, right? Maybe when you were a kid, or maybe when you were a bigger kid, driving that four-wheel drive, thinking you can get through the mud, but you found yourself stuck in the mud. And then once you're stuck in the mud, what do you do? Well, you, you go forward a few inches, throw it in drive, and then you throw it in reverse, and you go backward a few inches. Then you go forward, ooh, back and forth. And then what are you, what are you doing? You're just spinning your wheels. 
and it's getting slicker and slicker under under the wheels. And then before you know it, you, you, you just go, you go down. And you can't get out because now you're stuck in that mud. And our minds get stuck in the muddiness of the world. And unless we call upon God and his truth, we're going to stay stuck in that rut. And we're just going to be spinning over and over again until you call for help. You call for a tow truck and he comes out with his hitch and, and you know, he pulls you out and then you're like, yeah, and you get all happy. You're all excited and you're all cheerful. And then what do you do again? You think, well, I'm going to try to get, get through the mud again. And you find yourself stuck again. The only reason I'm sharing that story, well, let me tell you about the, the backdrop of that story. When I was a kid, I went hunting with my dad and his friend and another guy. And my dad... He not only got us stuck once, he not only got stuck twice, but he got us stuck three times, thinking that he could get get his get through the mud. Guess what he ended up having to do? The the guy came the third time and he said, "Dude, he said, you've got to give me something. You're not getting out for free." He said, "I'll take one of your rifles. You want to get out? Give me one of your rifles." Otherwise, stay stuck in the mud. And we have to make that choice. We have to give up things. We have to give up our lives. We have to deny ourselves. We have to be sober and vigilant. He had to give up his rifle in order to get out. And that is what taught him. He learned the lesson the hard way. And we were stuck in the mud up to our knees. I remember as a little kid, I had so much mud. For me, it was fun, but for my dad, no. We need to be sober. We need to be vigilant. We need to think upon things that are true. We need to get our minds out of the mud, and we need to get our minds meditating on the mind of Christ. We need to think upon those things which are true. Somebody said this, wrong thinking will always lead to wrong living. Isn't that true? Wrong thinking will always lead to wrong living. So he's telling the believers, be sober, be vigilant. Jesus said, watch and pray. Lest you enter into temptation, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So why should we be sober and vigilant? Here's why, verse 8, because, because your adversary, the devil cruises around, oh, it says walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. The first thing the apostle tells us is that we have an adversary, an opponent, a challenger. He is a true foe. He is an arch enemy of Jesus Christ and an arch enemy of the followers of Jesus Christ. So you and I have an adversary, an opponent, a challenger. He's seeking to bring us down. He doesn't want us to be victorious. He doesn't want us to have joy. He wants to rob us of our calling and so he's seeking, he's roaming around, walking about like a roaring lion, and his name is none other than Satan. He's the devil. His name is Satan. He's also known as the accuser, the slanderer, the tempter, or the prince of the power of the air, and he walks about. He did it back in Job chapter 2, verse 2. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. And he walks about like a roaring lion. I was reading that lions go after the weak. They go after the young and they pursue the stragglers. One of the primary ways that they hunt is by stalking their prey. They stay hidden for as long as possible while they approach their prey. They stalk their prey and they strategically corner their prey. And they also hunt under the cover of darkness. Like Satan, 
he is dark and there's no light in him. Both males and females, I was reading, they also have a very powerful roar which can, lead, which can be heard up to five miles away. Why do they roar? To scare off an intruder, to warn the pride of imminent danger, and then, of course, to show off in front of the other lions. I got a louder roar. Well, guess what? Jesus has the greatest of all roars. He's a, he's a lion of the tribe of Judah. And we are called to be as bold as lions. We're called to, to be bold. We have the roar of Jesus Christ within us. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And the enemy, he comes to seek out those who are isolated and alone. Isn't that so true? He, like the lions, they go after the stragglers. They go after those who are alone. So if they see a pack of zebras and all of these zebras are together, but then suddenly one zebra falls away from the pack and he's now isolated, guess what? The lioness, the hunters, it's the girls who do the hunting. It's the women who do the hunting. Uh, isn't that interesting? The lioness, they do the hunting and the lions... They just roar. But it's the, it's the women who do the hunting. But once they see a, a zebra, a straggler, they will go after that. Or whatever it is, a gazelle or whatever. They'll go after that gazelle. And the enemy's come to still kill and destroy. He's like a roaring lion. It says here, seeking whom he may devour. Jesus said the enemy, the thief, does not come except to still kill and to destroy. We have to be on guard because the enemy is dangerous. I like what Warren Wiersbe said. He said this, a part of this soberness that we're talking about includes not blaming everything on the devil. Some people see the devil behind every bush, behind every tree, behind every flat tire, or behind every car that's overheating. And then they blame Satan for their headaches and even running out of gas. What said, did you put gas? No. She told you like a day ago, uh, you know, the day before. And they're like, no, the devil made me run out of gas. Yeah, right. No, you made yourself run out of gas because you didn't listen to your wife again. Knowing that the enemy roams about like a roaring lion, what should we do? What should we do? Verse 9, resist him. Resist him steadfast in the faith knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. The word resist means to set oneself against. It also means to withstand or to oppose. You know what I'm talking about, right? You're, you're withstanding, you're opposing the enemy. Any football players in here? Any of you played football in the past? Any, any defensive players? I mean... You have to oppose, right? You have to withstand uh, the offense. You're playing defense. Your, your goal is to get to the quarterback. And the offensive line is opposing you, right? They're withstanding you. And they're trying to keep you from getting to the quarterback. And so what do you do? I mean, you, you get down and, you know, your stance and you're ready to go. And you're looking around and you, offensive player... You go around him and you go to the quarterback and you get the quarterback. And that's what the enemy wants to do. He's come to attack us, but we have to withstand. We have to oppose. We have to be on guard. We have to be vigilant at all times. We have to get up, put our hands up. We have to be ready at all times. We have to come back and, and we have to put on the full armor of God. We have to resist him. And how do we resist him? The same way Jesus resisted him. Go to Matthew chapter 4. I want to remind us of some verses here in how Jesus resisted the enemy because if the enemy came against Jesus, guess what? He's going to come against us. If he came against Jesus, he's going to come against us. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. 
And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, Notice how Jesus resists the enemy. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So the way that Jesus resisted him is our example, is the way that we are to resist the enemy by the word of God. Jesus said, it is written. Now, did the enemy, the arch enemy of Jesus stop there? He pressed on. Verse 5, then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Isn't that so much like the enemy? The enemy wants, he wants to throw our lives down. He wants to bring us down. He wants to throw us down. He doesn't want us to be upright and living and moving and being about our father's business. He wants to throw us down. He wants to destroy us. He's come to still kill and to destroy. And Jesus said in verse 7 to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And he's quoting from Deuteronomy 6, 16 there earlier. He quoted from Psalm 91. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. You could have it all. You want it all? You could have it all. Whatever you want. All you have to do is fall down. Fall down and worship me. Earlier he said, throw yourself down. Now he's saying, fall down. He wants us to throw our, he wants to throw our, our lives down. He wants to destroy us. And now he's saying, fall down. Throw yourself down. Destroy yourself. And fall down. That's the enemy. That's his plan. That's his plot. He wants us to fall down at his feet. And what did Jesus say? And he said to him, and Jesus said to him, all these things I will give you if you, verse 10, excuse me. And then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. So, back to what Peter said, resist him. Resist him. How do we resist him? The same way that Jesus resisted him, by the word. Jesus said, it is written, it is written, it is written. And so, what does that tell us? that we need to have the Word of God in our hearts. We need to meditate on it. We need to think on those things which are true. We need to write God's Word on the tablet of our hearts. We need to memorize it. Meditate on it. Memorize it. Think about it over and over again like a, a cow that chews on its cud. It regurgitates that Food that the cow eats, it goes down and then regurgitates it, brings it back up and chews on it again. Why? To get out all the nutrients and all the minerals. And in the same way, we want to meditate on God's Word. We want to memorize it. It's so good to memorize God's Word because when the devil comes in to tempt, when the devil comes in to bring in doubt or disbelief or discourage, or when the devil comes in and says, you aren't any good, why should you even be living? Then we allow God's word to be quoted. We quote it. We say it. We speak things which are true. The Bible says, don't give place to the devil. Don't give place to the devil in Ephesians 4, 
27. Don't give him a foothold. Think about it. If, if I asked my son to come up here and he was running from, from over here, if I asked him to start over here and he started running by, all I'd have to do is probably stick out my hand like that and hit his ankle and he'd go falling. The enemy wants to grab, he wants to grab us from down here. He wants to trip us up. Don't even give him a foothold. Don't even allow him to grab hold of your foot. Don't give him a foothold. Run away and run to Jesus. The Bible says to put on the whole armor of God. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Any wrestlers in the house? Remember, you wrestler, you doing all that stuff. And I, don't, I didn't watch the UFC fights last night, but my son showed me. I guess it was UFC fight, right? My son, my son showed me. I don't even know who was fighting, but he showed me one of the one of the opponents who kicked the other guy down here. And when he kicked him, he went like that. His leg just like, like became rubber. But he didn't know it. And after he kicked him, he came back. And his, obviously this whole part of his leg was just shattered. When he came down, it just like, he just buckled under like that. He didn't realize it until when he tried to put his foot back. And then he realized he was done. That was it. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Our battle is not against one another, but it's against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. That's why we need to take up the whole armor of God. We need to be fitted from head to toe, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith with which will quench the fiery darts, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, the bout of truth, which gives us that that mobility to be able to move back and forth. That's what the bout of truth does. If we don't, if we have pants on without a bout, and those pants are kind of staggy, we're not going to really have that mobility. So we need the bout of truth, which ties everything together, if you will, which girds up the loins of our minds, and then we put on the shoes. The gospel of peace, we need to take up the word of God and we need to make sure that we resist him through the word of God and through prayer, standing with the armor of God on because we have an enemy. We need to be watchful. Another way is submit to God. As God will, as God will draw near to you, it says, therefore in James, submit to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Back in our passage, another way to be steadfast, another way to resist the devil is by being steadfast or committed in the faith. Resist him steadfast in the faith. Committed, firm, unswerving. That's what steadfast means. Therefore, my beloved brethren, while first Peter, uh, first Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57 and 58 says, Thanks be to God who has given us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. Be steadfast, be firm, unswavering, immovable in the faith or abounding in that passage, abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. He says, resist him steadfast in the faith. Never forget, never, always take up the shield of faith. That's why it says in in Ephesians chapter 6, with the armor of God, above all, it says, above all, above all, taking the shield of faith, which you and I will be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench 
all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Man, the wicked one has fiery darts. He shoots fiery darts at us all the time. Oh, you won't be able to succeed. Oh, you won't be able to move forward. Uh, and darts of lie, darts of discouragement, darts of disbelief, all these dark darts. And he wants to use them to isolate us, to cripple us, to paralyze us into in fear, to keep us back from moving forward. He, he shoots these fiery darts of wicked one of the wicked one. So we need to resist him steadfast in the faith. Finally, finally, verse ten. But may the God of all grace, who called us to His eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while. Perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. So Peter closes on a positive note. He says, be hopeful because we have God's grace. He is the God of all grace. He's the God of all grace, verse 10. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory. He ends on a positive note. We've been talking about the enemy walking about like a roaring lion, and now he closes out. The God of all grace, now let us therefore come boldly to the holy throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In verse 12, it says, We stand in His grace by Silvanus, our faithful brother, as I consider him. I have written to you briefly, exhorting, and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. So you and I stand in God's favor. We stand in His grace. God has called us to His eternal glory. We have grace and glory. Our walk, the journey that we are on is difficult. And sometimes it's grueling at times. But where does it lead? It leads to His eternal glory. Verse 10, But may the God of all grace who called us to His eternal glory by Christ Jesus after you have suffered a while. Perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. The sufferings that you and I go through are being used to perfect, to establish, to strengthen, and to settle us. The word perfect means to equip. It also means to fit together or it means to repair. Man, when we go through trials and difficult seasons and, and we're coming out of a difficult season, God uses those kinds of things in our life to, to fit us together. Or when we come out of a big storm or a very difficult time in our lives, God repairs us. He equips us. He establishes us, which means to stabilize us. And then he also strengthens us, which means to make one soul strong. And then he settles us, which he places you and I on a firm foundation. To be settled means to be placed on a firm foundation. Like Jesus told his disciples, build on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. Those who dig deep and those who build their house, their homes on solid ground, they will be settled. They will be strong. They will be established. They will be fit together. They will be equipped. And when the storm comes and beats and batters on that house and blows on that house, after the storm passes, the house is still standing because it's been founded, settled upon the solid rock of Jesus Christ. We need to be, we need to, we need to be perfected, established, strengthened, and settled. And all that comes through Jesus Christ. Warren Wiersbe said these words. The church today is facing a fiery trial and we must be prepared. But whatever may come, be hopeful. The glory is soon to come. Father, we thank you.
Lord God, for allowing us to be in your word this morning. Thank you, Father, that we can come and cast all of our care upon you because you care for us. I pray, God, that we would cast out. We would cast all our care upon you, our anxieties, our troubles, our distractions, our worries, our nervousness, our battles, our uncertainties, our fears, or whatever may be nipping at our heels, that we would cast all of our cares upon you because you care for us. I pray, God, that we would be calm and collected, clear-minded, that we'd be sober, we'd be vigilant, we'd be on guard because we have an opponent, a challenger, a foe, an arch enemy who has come to devour us and he, he roams around and walks about like a roaring lion trying to intimidate us, trying to put fear into us. But greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. If Christ is for us, then who can be against us? No weapon formed against us shall prosper. The same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is the same spirit that lives inside of us. We are not just conquerors. We are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. And nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Thanks be to God who has given us the victory. We're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory because victory has been won on the cross. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he defeated death. He defeated the enemy. The enemy thought he had him, but little did he know that three days later, Jesus would rise from the grave, crushing Satan, defeating him. And we have Christ in us, the hope of glory. I pray God that we would rest upon the hope of glory. And we would remember that we have the God of all grace who, who has called us to eternal glory by Christ Jesus. I pray, God, that as we go through the battles, as we suffer, that you would perfect us, you would establish us, you would strengthen us, and you would settle us. And that that would all come from the power of your word. It would all come from Jesus Christ, God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray for anybody online or anybody in here who's not come to faith in Christ. They haven't received that eternal glory. They don't have the grace and the glory. They don't have the glory and the grace because they don't have eternal life because they haven't given their life to Christ. And so if you want to give your life to Christ and be forgiven of all of your sins online, if you want to have all of your sins wiped away, if you're in here and you haven't given your life to Christ or you need to rededicate your life back to Christ, if you haven't confessed your sins, if you haven't repented from your sins, if you haven't turned from your sins, if you're playing church and you know God says that game's over, it's time to be the church, it's time to get right with Christ. If you want to make it right with Christ, if you're online, just send an emoji, lift up your hand if you're in here and say, I want to make it right with Christ. Anybody at all? Anybody at all? Father, thank you so much, Lord, for your glory and your grace. Thank you, Father God, for your word. Thank you for Pastor Ben. And Lord God, thank you for just what you're doing, Lord God, here in this place. We know, God, you're going to do greater and mightier things. We love you with all of our heart. We praise you and we honor you in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, Amen. 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 Thank you, Ray. Appreciate you. What a timely word. We needed to hear that. Amen. Next week, guys, we're going to, um, we're going to be in the book of Matthew. Don't forget Wednesday night. We're in Revelation chapter nine. And so we're moving through the tribulation. Praise the Lord that you won't be here, that we'll be in heaven eating with the Lord. That's always good, right? Anybody hungry or no? All right, don't get stuck in the mud. We're going to go eat. We're going to go eat. So anyways, um, thank you guys for coming. We love you. We love you. One last worship song, and Talia's going to dismiss. Uh, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Hey, I want to remind you, the bookstore is open. So if you need if you need a Bible or you need some um, just stuff, go spend your money over there. Amen? We It's open. It's open, and so we'd love to have you. God bless you guys.
We hope you enjoyed today's message. We'd love to hear from you and see you in person at the church. You can find our contact information, location, and even give a donation at calvarychapellubbock.church. We'll see you next time on the podcast. Until then, may God bless you and your family.